Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, we're going to be discussing books that feature libraries or librarians. And this is actually a listener request that we had. It was so exciting. It was very exciting. Claire emailed us. She is a listener and aspiring librarian. I think she's interested in going to school to become a librarian. And Mm -hmm. she asked us to talk about some books that feature libraries or librarians. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give a little background on how you became a librarian? Yeah. I had always been told I should be a librarian because I read so much as a kid and I sort of didn't take it seriously. And then um, in high school, I had to do a project where I had to feature a career and Uh and write a, a report on it. And I did librarians just for lack of any other ideas and and I really fell in love with the space when I went to do research I just really enjoyed that and I felt like oh this is something I could actually do and so once I graduated the the very first thing I did was get a job at the university library where I was going to be be going to school and I've literally never done anything else. really yeah I don't think I, I realized that yeah no it's I mean other than like high school jobs right, but right. but that this has been from yeah. 18 to my current age I've, I've just <laughs> Which, worked in libraries so so I, I just was working as a paraprofessional for mm-hmm. many many years and then and and kind of hadn't really thought that I would actually get the degree for a while just for some other circumstances in my life and then ended up going to moving to another state to get a job mm-hmm. and they had a library school there and and I thought, well, this is a good time when you're a full-time employee of the university library, mm-hmm. then you can get some benefits to mm-hmm. to your schooling here. So, so that's just how it's worked. And I, I worked full-time and went to school full-time and it was hard. And then yeah. I graduated and got a job and moved here. So it's just been sort of a, for the most part, a straight trajectory mm-hmm. for me. So yeah, I, I've, I've, anytime people ask me what, what, they should do to become a librarian. I say just get experience as yes, much as I, you can. I would. I did not actually work in a library before I went and got the degree, mm-hmm. and I it worked out for me. I worked in a library while I was in school, right. so I did get that experience as I was in school. But I would definitely recommend that if you're interested in get yeah. getting the degree, you get some experience in a library first. First of all, it just puts you in a better position when you're mm-hmm. looking for jobs, and second, it just gives you the experience to even know if you want the degree. Yeah, because there's so many people that think that it's going to be something that it's, it's not, not, and then. They're disappointed when they yeah. actually get into yeah. a professional position yeah. so it's yeah it's not something to to just take on lightly there's right. a lot of, of you think it's sitting around and reading all day in a yeah. quiet place. and there's there's so many different types of librarianship mm-hmm. too so it's it's great to work in different areas mm-hmm. and you get lots of different experiences that that you wouldn't think that you would get in a mm-hmm. library so yeah. there's just all true. kinds of neat things that you can do even if it's even if books are not your thing there's right. all kinds of technology things oh, yes. and and um, just organizational things and and if you're into rare books and there's that side mm-hmm. of it there's just all kinds of things so yeah. it's it's worth doing research and and kind of figuring out what your passion is yeah if, if this is what you want to do I definitely agree so that's my advice to you Claire if you're listening <laughs> that if you don't already have experience in a library even if it's just volunteering in a library yeah, that, helps. Uh, that helps just to get a feel for uh particularly what's involved in a public library. That's what right. I know. I worked in an academic library when I was in graduate school, but mm-hmm. um, generally I know public libraries and it really does give you a sense of what goes on behind the scenes yeah. that, and, and the different aspects. Like you said there, I think people think of librarians as the people that sit at the desks mm-hmm. and there are so many other things that you mm-hmm. can do in the library that aren't that. So, mm-hmm. um, so that would be my recommendation. But you should do it. <laughs> yes. It's a good job. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, so should we give some suggestions? I did a mixture of nonfiction and fiction books about libraries. Did Me you too. as well? Yeah. Okay, great. Do you want to get started? Sure. So my first book is The Archivist by Martha Cooley. And the main character in this book is a solitary librarian named Matt Lane. And he oversees the archives at a prestigious, unnamed East Coast University. And he's really happy with his solitude. He grew up in New York City as the only child of a hyper-religious mother and a drunken father. So he really found refuge in books and, and just has surrounded himself with that his entire life. Um, has, and, and has, you know, had good interpersonal relationships, but he's really found his, his place mm-hmm. within books. And he's particularly fond, fond of poetry, especially um, the poetry of T.S. Eliot. And the action of the book begins when a grad student named Roberta Spire asks to see a huge collection of letters that Eliot had written in the 1930s through the 1950s to a woman named Emily Hale. And she had been his friend and muse and, and had just written this, I think there's thousands of letters that, that she's written to him um, throughout his adult life um, or back and forth to each mm-hmm. other throughout their, their adult lives. I, I'm not sure that, I think, bef- yeah, definitely before T.S. Eliot died then, the collection was donated by Emily to the university um, and T.S. Eliot really didn't want this to happen. And so the so she made the provision that they couldn't be made open to the public until 50 years after her death. And this is a real thing. These okay. letters are real, which I hadn't known. Mm-hmm. Um, they're owned by Princeton University and they're scheduled to be open on January 1st, 2020. Oh, that's is, soon. Yeah, it's <laughs> exciting. But the book is set in the 80s. So in the the scheme of the book, it's way, way mm-hmm. in the future. And, and they talk about how she isn't entitled to see these letters when other scholars have to, other people that actually have their PhDs already have to wait for decades to see this. Um, but for us, it's coming up really yes, soon, which is kind soon. of exciting in a nerdy library kind of way. <laughs> um, but Roberta won't take no for an answer. So she begins to regularly meet with Matt to discuss poetry and her personal reasons for wanting to see these letters. And as they're talking, these conversations eventually force Matt to remember the circumstances of his own wife's time in a mental institution and eventual death there, which closely mirrors the fate of T.S. Eliot's own wife, Vivian. Um, so even if you're not a fan of poetry, which we've discussed that I am not, and I think Allie would agree with this, we have nothing against it. It's just not our our thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no experience reading T.S. Eliot other than very much glossing over Mm -hmm. the wasteland during some class in college. This is a really enjoyable way to be exposed to it because you understand the passion that people feel for Mm -hmm. poetry and for these, these writers' lives and you, you really understand why it's so important to them and why it has such a huge meaning for them. Um, and, and besides the library aspect, there are a lot of themes that are going on in the book. There's, there's a lot about isolation and religious identity and guilt and the aftermath of the Holocaust. And the tone is very, very literary. So this isn't really a light read. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with a lot going on beyond the library elements, there are still a lot of really appealing Um, pieces of information about library work and academia. Um, So in that sense, it reminded me a lot of Reading Possession by A.S. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. you really get that feel of the pleasure of scholarly research and the the discovery of seeing something that no one else has ever Mm -hmm. seen before. And you also understand the silence or the how much the the appeal of silence and order in Mm -hmm. a library, um, especially in an archive, will, will really people in Mm -hmm. so i i thought that that because of that it was a pretty good representation of library work even though there really isn't any mention of computers in the in this book Um, yeah there's they talk a little bit about having to go to a conference to learn about computers and how (laughs) stupid they think it is (laughs) if only they knew and i think that you don't really see that side of library work very often Mm -hmm. represented in in books where you have to think about how 
everything has to be meticulously cataloged and preserved. Mm-hmm. And that's just not something when, when you read a book about librarians, it's always the, well, they always are just sitting at desks reading right. to start. But, yes. um, but these, these behind the scenes things that are, are really key and kind of the whole point of being able to make information readily accessible mm-hmm. to people, you have to organize that somehow. And, but I guess it's not glamorous enough for a lot of books, but I really like it. That's something really fascinating to me. So even though there's a lot more going on in the book besides just the library things, then then I liked that side of it a lot, and um, yeah, it was a very it was kind of a quiet, just just yeah. kind of nicely paced read. It's just a it's very literary, yeah. So that that surprised me a little bit as I was getting into it. So, but it was it was just very almost like a like a snowy day kind of oh, kind of book, yeah. just sort of quiet and mm-hmm. and you wanted a long stretch of time to read it. So it was it was very nice. Okay, it's called The Archivist by Martha Cooley. My first one is The Borrower by Rebecca Mackay, and it's about a woman named Lucy Hull, and she's a children's librarian, and she has become a librarian to rebel against her Russian mafia family (laughs) because it's like the exact opposite of what they would expect as far as her life course. And she's in a small town in Missouri trying to avoid any contact with her family. And her favorite patron is this bright 10-year-old boy named Ian, and Ian's family are... Uh, evangelical Christian family who only allow Ian to read books with the breath of God in them. And so... uh, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? I I very, like, just anything with religion in it. Nothing other than religious okay i didn't know if that meant like specific parameters but I well it's just very strict parameters there's nothing that would be like magic or anything like that um but he has really inquisitive nature and lucy because she likes him so much she surreptitiously gives him books that she thinks that he will enjoy (laughs) um and she checks them out to her own account but then you know slips them to him yeah one morning she finds Ian in the stack so she opens up the library he is hid there overnight because he was running away from home his parents have decided that he needs to go to a behavior modification program because they fear that he is showing signs of being gay as at 10 years old and they want to cure him in uh-huh. air quotes of this <laughs> um and so he has run away from home from that because of that so she decides she's going to help him and so they go run away on an adventure uh, to get away from his parents and they don't really have a clear vision of what their goal is here of where they're going or what they're doing that it's just that they he doesn't want to have to go to this program and she's in support of the fact that he shouldn't have to go to this program so they decide to go and so it this adventure that they go on it's a road trip that traverses several states they're avoiding the police they're avoiding uh, a suitor of Lucy's who's very determined to find her uh, as well as this mysterious man who seems to be following them but they're not quite sure he just keeps appearing and they're not exactly sure what's going on there Um, so this book is if you can't tell it's a little off kilter (laughs) like it's not a typical librarian kind of a book Um, but it's fast-paced and it's a little bit whimsical and quirky and the the characters are just fun and interesting she lucy the main character is i would say not particularly likable mm-hmm. um necessarily um but it's it's just a 
you want to keep reading to find out what happens. How is the story ever going to end where, I mean, you know, this is a terrible idea that she's taking this 10 year old and going on this trip with him um, to avoid having to send him to this behavior modi- modification program. So I think I may have mentioned this before. I always love a road trip book. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what the topic is. I just, if it's a road trip, I'm, I'm in. And so this appealed to me on several levels, the librarian aspect and then the mm-hmm. road trip aspect. And it was fun. It, the title is The Borrower by Rebecca Mackay. That sounds like a really fun book. It, it is. It's different. It's, but it's fun. It was really yeah. fun. I liked it. Okay. I promised a cozy mystery. Yes. That is up next. It's called Killer Librarian oh. by Mary Lou Kerwin. <laughs> And I have to say, there are a billion cozy mysteries that feature librarians. So I'm not surprised. There, oh my gosh, there are so many. It's really hard to choose if you want one. But if you like that topic, then you have many, many hours of reading ahead of you. <laughs> Fun reading. And this, this book is about a librarian named Karen Nash. And she works in a small town in Minnesota. And she's a huge fan of mysteries and of good literature. And especially she loves British authors. And so at the point that the, the book starts, she had been planning a dream vacation to London with her boyfriend, Dave. Um, I think they'd been planning for about six months and it was just her, her ultimate dream trip and she had never been before. Um, but right before they're supposed to leave for the airport, he calls and breaks up with her and he just says, this isn't working out. And so she's devastated, but she decides that the best thing she can do to take her mind off her heartache is to go on the trip anyway. But at the airport, she sees Dave getting onto the flight with another <gasps> much younger woman. So she's extra devastated, but she's determined that this won't ruin her trip that she's planned for such a long time. So once she arrives in London, she meets the charming owner of her bread and breakfast, which is full of books and and very um, cute and stereotypically British, (laughs) how Americans like to think of Britain. Um, And his name is Caldwell Perkins, and he um, immediately invites her out to the pub, and she ends up getting very drunk while she's there and spills all of these dreams of revenge that she has against Dave to a stranger that's that's standing at the pub mm-hmm. um, while they're there. And he cryptically says he'll take care of it. And so the next day, she kind of doesn't really think too much of it. She sort of remembers this happening, but it isn't really on her mind. But later in the evening, I think, I think it's actually the evening they get back from the pub. I'm pretty sure that's when it happens. She goes downstairs because she can't sleep and she is looking for something to read. And she finds one of the other B&B guests who's an elderly man who comes to London every year for the Chelsea Flower Show. She finds him sitting in an armchair holding a book that's upside down, and she thinks he's asleep, but after a little while, she realized that he's dead. And so everyone assumes that this must just be um, from natural causes, but she thinks that things aren't adding up, mainly because of the upside-down book. Mm -hmm. And so because of of that instance and because she knows what she said about her, her dreams of revenge, she fears that maybe she has two murders on her hands, and that um, one is something that she set up on her own, that, that she has, um, she set in motion herself. So basically, this book is just Anglophile wish fulfillment. <laughs> the mystery element of the book is very, very light. It, I, I kind of kept forgetting it was a mystery because it really is just focused on the travel and the exploring of what an American dreams that England would be for your first trip Mm -hmm. but I thought it was still really fun and I I really related to Karen's excitement over seeing these things that she's read about for so many years before going on this trip Um, mainly because I recently went to London I think last year myself for the first time after years and years of reading about it and it's ridiculous because I have my my concentration with within my degree was British studies but I had never been there and so this was just like a I knew so many people had gone and not really known what they were looking at and so to go and finally see these things that I had I had um been studying for so many years it was really exciting so I I totally got how she felt on this and you you really understand her love of literature and that even away from her job you get the sense that she's 
just constantly pulling information um, that she could use in her job. And she's constantly helping people with, with finding books that they may love. And, and she can't really help but librarian her way through London, which is really (laughs) charming and cute and fun. So there's a bit of mystery and there's a bit of romance and there's a lot of quaint English settings. So it was just a a really fun, pleasant read. I, I think I read it in an afternoon and it was super fast reading and it was, but it was great. It was really fun. So I liked it a lot. And that is called Killer Librarian by Mary Lou Kerwin. And I think there's a second book in the series. I don't remember the name right now, but um, I I know there's there's two books and I'm not sure if she's continuing it after okay. that. But, but yeah, it was, it was very cute. That sounds adorable. It, adorable is a perfect word for it. <laughs> it didn't have a cat on the cover, though, which is really an oversight on Obviously. their knowledge of what a library cozy mystery should have. Yes. Of course. <laughs> Uh, all right, my next one is nonfiction. It's The World's Strongest Librarian, a memoir of Tourette's Faith, Strength, and the Power of Family by Josh Hanagarn. Have you read this one? I yeah. haven't. No. I have so many people recommend it to me. I need yeah. to read it. Um, so this is about a man, or not about, it's his memoir, uh, Josh, <laughs> who he was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome when he was a freshman in high school, although he began showing symptoms when he was six years old. Mm-hmm. He has very noticeable tics and um you know, flailing of limbs and loud outbursts and Mm -hmm. things that started when he was six years old. And by the time he's 20 years old, he's six feet, seven inches tall. And his Tourette's tics are at an all time high. And he was on his Mormon mission at the time. Mm -hmm. And he sent home early from his mission due to these uncontrollable outbursts. And so he's convinced that, you know, at 20 years old, his life is basically over and he's incapacitated because he's never going to be able to control his body. And he's so tall and <laughs> noticeable anyway um and it's so going against he does have problems. a lot going against yeah from from the get-go so he's desperate to find something that that will help in any way and he tries every remedy that he thinks is possible including one where he has botox in his vocal cords and then he's unable to speak for three years um, oh thinking gosh. that that will help and that doesn't help so during all of this time he's kind of I, I know i know that's crazy. Um, so during all of that time, he at first he's sort of jumping from school to school and he's job to job. He's not quite sure where his place is, but he ends up going to library school and getting a library degree. And he also gets married. And then he meets a man who is an eccentric guy who is very into strength training. He's autistic and he's he's convinced that if Josh takes up strength training, he'll be able to control his tics by basically suppressing suppressing them, like throttling them. And so Josh becomes a competitive weightlifter. And what his story shows is it's, it's a really fun, but unique story because it shows the aspects of being a public librarian in an urban environment. So a city where you have all sorts of people coming through the doors, which I think is any sort of public library. (laughs) Um, And then also tales of his life with Tourette's, but with these anecdotes about the library where when he reads, he's also able to control the ticks, And then with his strength training, that helps also. So he kind of gets into this manageable position mm-hmm. where it's, he's able to control them to an extent. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's funny to, not funny to me. It's funny to him that like a librarian, which you think of as kind of a quiet sedate job. And he who is not that at all is able to, 
to do the job so well and enjoy it so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And then through all of that, there's also a story of navigating his faith as a Mormon because he and his wife are trying to get pregnant or she's trying to get pregnant and really struggling. And Mm -hmm. so they are considering adoption, which um, I don't know, apparently is not there. There's some sort of emphasis placed on having children Mm -hmm. and that he feels like he's wrestling with his faith as well as his this family mm-hmm. idea of, of his and so there's just a lot to it it's more yeah. it's more than just a simple basic memoir of a librarian and how a person becomes a librarian it's got a lot to it um, it's he's really funny and it's interesting and and quirky and a little look at what it would be like to live with that sort of affliction I guess yeah. is I don't know the right quite the right word for it the syndrome Tourette syndrome um, so that's called the world's strongest librarian a memoir of Tourette's faith strength and the power of family by Josh Hanagarn really really want to read that. yeah I think you would like it um did you hear his his reading lives episode with yes I did yeah. which why did they stop making that I podcast don't know. it upsets me so much it upsets me so much but his is one that stood out to me because he was so funny and yes. so engaging yes. and um and he talked about how sci-fi and horror played yes. such a huge part yeah. in yeah, his Stephen King is yeah. like a huge influence yeah yeah which um I just picture his parents being upset about yeah him yeah. reading all that Stephen King, which cracks me up a little bit. Um, oh, but yeah, he was he was so engaging. He was yeah. so dynamic in yes. his interview. So yes, and for me, it was you know like I could identify with some of the library stuff, but then the the Mormon religion and the Tourettes were so mm-hmm. foreign to me when I read it that it was it was a good combination of right. learning interesting things as well as identifying with some of the things he what goes through as a public librarian. Right. right. So very good. cool. So my last book is also a memoir, and it is called Free for All, Oddballs, Geeks, and Gangstas in the Public Library by Don Borchert. And this is written by a library employee in Torrance, California, which is in Los Los Angeles County. And it would be a good book for anyone who is thinking about working in a public library, because you will find out many things. (laughs) I would say, I think Hallie would agree with me, that something that any librarian or library employee hates to hear is, you must love reading all day. Yes. Um, at your job, or I would love to have such a stress-free, quiet work environment. I hear that all, all the time. time. And anyone who says that hasn't been in a public library since they were a kid, I would oh. guarantee it mm-hmm. almost 100%. Um, and so Don Borchert gives a very candid portrayal of the realities of working in a public space. And he admits that 91% of the time, everything is pretty low-key and, mm. and it's a calm, um, just everyday job. But that other 9% mm. are the times that completely bizarre stuff happens and no one who doesn't know if you don't work in a public library you would never expect these things to happen anytime I I talked with friends they're like you deal with that I know oh my gosh (laughs) and they it's just not what people expect so so in the case of this book um his memoir these instances include things like drunk patrons who accost school children trying to come into the library drug dealers who are operating outside or within the the Mm -hmm. men's room or patrons that will go to incredible lies to avoid paying their overdue <laughs> fees, which is that standard. That's that's not anything new. But his library is across the street from a, a middle school. So some of the saddest stories that you read in the book come from his interactions with teens who are told to go to the library and wait for their parents mm-hmm. to, to either get off work or decide to come pick them up. Um, and they frequently get out of line, but many of them are also in terrible situations with their parents and they don't really have adults that they can look up to. So the librarians end up filling that gap in many ways, which is, is kind of true mm-hmm. of I, I haven't really had tons of experience in that vein because I don't work as a teen librarian, but there's, you definitely get to know kids that are there all the time and, mm. and you sort of see what they're struggling with. 
Um, but there are also lots of funny stories of patrons who refuse to take a new library card because there happen to be three sixes contained within <laughs> the, the number um, in the barcode. And there are sweet stories of grateful patrons who bring in baked goods. And mm. just a side note, any librarian will accept baked goods. <laughs> Not saying anything more gratefully. than that. <laughs> Very gratefully. And I found a lot that I could relate to. Every library employee loves to share war stories with their colleagues, and it's really fun at, at, when I get together with friends to, to sort of tell these bizarre things that have happened. So I found myself nodding several times while I was reading. But I also was kind of grateful for our library system because I realized, um, which I knew already, but, but I saw very clearly that there are that we're pretty free of serious incidents. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm going to jinx it, but I've never dealt with a truly dangerous situation mm-hmm. at work. Um, I haven't had very many very scary situations. There's there's definitely been some dramatic things, mm-hmm. but nothing that I've been, you know, afraid mm-hmm. of of what could happen to me, um, which is not the case for all of our colleagues across mm-hmm. the country. I know there, there are many people that deal with really, really scary things every day. And so most patrons that we have are very nice and grateful for the help that we give them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a really, that's a very nice thing to have in our lives. Um, and and the stories in this book are are for the most part told in a very affectionate way, which is I think the way any librarian feels about any patron, mm-hmm. even even the difficult ones. Mm-hmm. You still just you know what you're getting yourself into, right. and it, and it's kind of just par for the course, and yep. you enjoy it. So, yeah. um, but I I thought it was a very honest picture of some of the difficulties of working with the public, and there are a lot of amusing anecdotes that will ring true to anyone that's that's worked in a library or. Um, anyone that spends a lot of time in the public library. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, and and especially for someone who's considering library school as as a public librarian, just you yes. should probably read this book. <laughs> and it is called Free for All, Oddballs, Geeks, Gang- and Gangstas in the Public Library by Don Borchert. Well, when I read that a few years ago, and I definitely thought we were, were lucky in our, yeah. in our library system, because yes, we deal with things that aren't always easy, but mm-hmm. they're never dangerous, right. or at least so far. Right. Hopefully that will continue <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've worked one job where I saw scary stuff happening, but I was I was an intern, so I wasn't mm-hmm. really having to deal with it myself. Yeah. So, so now I'd be yeah. having to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. All right, so my last one is Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. This is such a fun book. It's so good. And don't be fooled by the fact that bookstore is in the title on this one because it's actually secretly about a library. Yeah. So it's about a guy named Clay Jensen, and he is an unemployed website designer. I want to say this takes place in like 2008 or 2009, maybe. Does that yeah. sound right? It's a few years ago because it's definitely, it's right after, you know, so many people had tech jobs that then yeah. lost their tech tech job so he finds a job the only job he can find is the night shift at a 24-hour bookstore that he passes and so he gets a job and he's given strict instructions not to open any of the volumes that line the shelves in a particular particular area of the bookstore and after a few nights of working there he notices that there's a group of customers that come to take books from these shelves and they never actually seem to pay for any of the books Mm -hmm. they come in they take a book and then they leave and then they'll bring the book back and take a different volume. And so that's the library part of this. Like they're not actually buying any of those books. 
So he has plenty of free time on his hands because, as you can imagine, there's not a whole lot of traffic at, at the overnight shift of a, of a 24-hour bookstore. So, And because of his computer background, he builds a 3D digital model of the bookstore as to keep track of inventory. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, he discovers that there's this pattern to the books that are being taken and returned by this particular group of customers. He has a couple of friends who join him in trying to figure out what is going on and what this puzzle is that needs to be solved or what these people are doing with the books. And then the book becomes like this adventure story mm-hmm. of solving this mystery. And so it's I absolutely loved this book. It's a good mixture of the literary love of books, this old fashioned using books for knowledge, but then it marries the the electronic new technology sort of containment of information. And it was just a pure delight. I loved it. Yeah. It's called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. And I thought it captured really well the the tension between old media and and new and having, and that's something librarians think about all the time of of the preservation of old materials and adopting and adapting to mm-hmm. to computers and, and technology mm-hmm. and and I thought that I think that people outside of libraries maybe don't realize how much we think about this mm-hmm. all the time and mm-hmm. so and so I thought he did it or she oh Robin I don't know I don't know either let me look it up <laughs> you talk I'll look it up oh okay um I, th- I just thought it was really re- kind of tapped into something that I don't often see talked about in in books about librarians yes so it was either it's we hate technology we're not going to do anything right. with this or yeah. he's a man robin oh, sorry mr robin <laughs> also a side note so when I, I read this for a book club and everyone else read it digitally and i had the print copy mm-hmm. guess what the print copy has i a glow in the dark cover oh yes a glow in the dark cover i did read the <gasps> i did read the print copy of this. it was so exciting, I know, to it discover was that. exciting. <laughs> so i felt like i had i had found some secret Easter egg that no one else was able to enjoy because I had the print copy. So print wins. (laughs) It was very cute. Okay. So we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. Talk to me about what you're reading. Uh, this week I'm reading The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. And I talked about this during our summer book preview episode. And this actually isn't out yet. Um, it's just about to release um, on July 19th, I think. And this book is an interesting take on the classic locked room mystery. It's set on a very small cruise ship. So there are a limited number of suspects and, and nowhere to hide. And uh, it's about a, a woman named Lo Blacklock. Lo is short for Laura, who when the book is starting her she realizes that her london london apartment is being burglarized while she's locked inside her own bedroom and so afterwards she's obviously feeling very shaken and upset but she's looking forward to kind of getting away from everything by going on a business trip um and her career is to work as a low-level journal journalist for a travel magazine and her boss is on maternity leave so because of this gap she's able to take on this this assignment to go on the maiden voyage of a luxury ship called the aurora um, and this is something that that at her level of writing, she would never have been able to to get this kind of plum job. So she's um, she's really thrilled about this. And um, on this trip, they're going to travel across the North Sea 
um, up the coast of Norway, which is gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, they're going to spend that time looking for the Northern Lights. So that's why it's, it's named the Aurora. Uh, once she gets on the ship, then Lo feels pretty out of place. She realizes that all of the other passengers, and there's just a handful of them, um, they're all b- really big names in the travel industry. So she's definitely not. Um, and the ship itself is incredibly ornate and it has this kind of invisible staff that supplies anything she needs and, and caters to her every whim. So it's, it's, she's very much out of place, but she is really sort of enjoying what this, um, this career boost that she'll get. So just before the first dinner party, she goes next door to her cabin and asks to borrow a mascara from the, the young woman that's in the cabin next door to hers. And, um, afterward she looks for this woman at dinner, but she can't find her. So then she gets kind of drunk that night um, at this first party and she uh, goes to bed and she hears a scream and a splash and she believes that the woman next door was thrown overboard. But and she when she kind of investigates, she she sort of leans over to see into the other cabin and she sees a smear of blood on the balcony, but she can't see anything in the water. So she she's um, really upset by this. And so she calls in security. But when they investigate, they don't find anything. Um, They don't find any blood and they don't find any personal belongings inside the cabin. So and they insist that there was no one booked to be in, in that cabin. So she shows them the tube of mascara and she insists that this woman was there and they just sort of say, well, you were drinking. So they, they just pretty much dismiss everything that she has. And they, they um, allow her to question the passengers and staff and everyone's accounted for. So everyone just, just dismisses every concern that she has. But when she goes back to her room after this questioning, then she finds that the mascara is missing. So she knows that someone is, is aware of her, questions and i think doesn't everyone love locked room mystery they're great they're so much fun and i really like the way the the author sets up low as a potentially unreliable narrator Um, we know from the beginning that she's prone to drinking and because she had this recent break-in she's dealing with the trauma from that so there's a lot of things that are sort of working against um her with our our ability to trust her knowledge of the situation um and there's a great sense of claustrophobia because of the the crampness of the cabins and the cold that's always kind of seeping in so i would definitely give this to people that are looking for the next girl on the train mm-hmm. read alike there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that are similar both in the the psychological psychological suspense aspect of the book and also the feeling of a woman that's sort of losing touch on reality mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not done yet i really <laughs> want to finish it it's it's pretty unput downable and it is called the woman in cabin 10 by ruth ware yeah i really we, we talked about this one you said it in our book preview but mm-hmm. I liked her first book I found it mm-hmm. a page turner yeah she's she's getting her name out there she is getting her name out there all right so the book that I'm reading this week is actually not out until September 20th but it fit the theme so well I had to talk about it today plus I actually <laughs> am reading it so uh, <laughs> it's called the bookshop on the corner by Jenny Colgan and we have talked about Jenny Colgan before mm-hmm. uh, she writes She's British and she writes chiclet, basically. Mm-hmm. And it, this one is about a woman named Nina who is a librarian <gasps> in Birmingham, England. And she loves nothing more than matching a reader up with their perfect book. Uh, and then one day she finds out that her library is getting rid of all of its books and replacing them with computers and other technology. And she is basically out of a job unless she can make a case for herself. There are two positions that are going to be available for people, but um, it's basically you have to be all into technology and mm-hmm. nothing about books. So she's not thrilled with the idea, although she half-heartedly tries for one of the jobs because she doesn't want to be unemployed, right. but it's definitely not going to be her passion. So one of the things that they do is they have this 
course that all of the employees take. And one of the exercises is to talk about what their dream job would be. And her dream job is to open a bookstore. And so she thinks it through. She can't quite get rid of the thought that that's really what she would like to do, but she doesn't know the logistics of how she would do it, how she would afford it. And so she has this brainstorm that it would cost a lot less to get, to buy a van and sell books out of a van mm-hmm. than actually renting a storefront to sell books out of. So she finds an ad for what looks to be the perfect van for her. It's a little bit shabby, but it fits into her budget and it's the perfect size. She can picture putting books on, putting shelves up on the walls and putting books in there. It's an old bread truck, I think is what it is. Oh, cute. Um, and it's being sold in Scotland. So she goes up there to check out the van and it's this small village with quirky people Mm -hmm. you know our favorite thing and she decides that she's going to move there and make a new life for herself by filling up this this van with books and driving around and selling books to people who all these little villages up in Scotland don't have a local library or local bookstore anymore they've all closed this is just everything I like about Chiclet when I read it it's heartwarming it's excuse me it's heartwarming it's got these townspeople that are a little bit eccentric but all very welcoming to her mm-hmm. and she has kind of a a grumpy landlord that you know there's something beneath his gruff exterior mm-hmm. um it's got a nice lovely romance and then it's about books so yeah. like it just can't be better uh it's called the bookshop on the corner by jenny colgan and it's out september 20th i'm super excited for that i know it was it's good it's funny her last the summer at little beach street bakery uh-huh. also features a well, it's a food truck, but oh, yeah. maybe that's on she her likes mind. her. Yeah, yeah she likes her trucks. <laughs> maybe that's what she's secretly doing with her time. Maybe that is. I'll have to send her a Twitter message. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Claire, I hope we helped you a little bit with your thoughts on becoming a librarian. We gave you some books that you might be interested in reading. Uh, let's go back over and mention all the books we talked yeah. about today. And if there's any other requests that people have, be sure yes, to email us, us and let us know. Um, this was really fun, too sort of have a theme yes. that we could work with. Yeah. Um, so my books were The Archivist by Martha Cooley, Killer Librarian by Mary Lou Kerwin, Free for All, Oddballs, Geeks, and Gangstas in the Public Library by Don Borchert, and what I'm reading this week is The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. And mine were The Borrower by Rebecca Mackay, The World's Strongest Librarian, A Memoir of Tourette's Faith, Strength, and the Power of Family by Josh Hanagarn. Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. And what I'm reading this week is The Bookshop on the Corner by Jenny Colgan. And I should say, I think this has a different title in England. It's The Little Shop of Happy Ever After or something like that. Because that's actually the name of the the van in in the book. Um, Anyway, so if you look it up on Goodreads or something, it might be under that instead of The Bookshop on the Corner. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or give us your own suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at beaufortcountylibrary.org slash wellread, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. <laughs>